chapter 2 today. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, we'll be there most of the morning. Uh, As you probably know, Colossians uh, is a letter that Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. Um, So he's been unable to visit them. He's trying to get to visit them, but he's not been able to do so. Um, This portion of the letter that we're going to look at is, it really falls into the category of moral instruction, instruction, which goes to the greater theme of the letter, um, encouragement. He's wanting to encourage the church, but narrowed down on what we're going to look at is how we should live in Christ. And this goes on to support that theme, um, which is the call to Christian maturity. He's encouraging them to be mature in Christ and just the centrality of Christ. So I know if you've already turned there, you're looking at the subheadings and you're like, why are we starting in verse 5 when there's already like a break there? We should probably start in verse 6. This guy has no idea what he's talking about. But I think verse 5 really serves as a, um, is like a, an introduction to like the next 15 or so verses. And we're not going to look at all those this morning. But let's read verse 5 and I'll read it for us. It says, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. So two things, like I already mentioned, Paul says he's absent in body. He's trying to get to visit this church, but he's not been able to get there. Now that's different than how um, I would use that when you're like, oh yeah, I've been meaning to get by, I just haven't made it. Have you guys ever said that? I had a great Aunt Mary, uh, rest in peace, right? Um, And we used to see her maybe once or twice a year. And every time we would see her, it was the same thing. She'd be like, Oh, my lands, you're getting so big to me and like my brother. And she's like going on. She's like, well, I wish I could just see you more often. And my mom always said the same. Well, you know, we've just been trying to get by and we never make it. And it's kind of true, but really it just wasn't top priority, okay? We did a lot of other stuff. We just never got to go see uh, dear Aunt Mary. Now, if my grandmother is here, she'd be really impressed with that impersonation, okay? I know you guys didn't find it impressive, but she, she thought that's good. Paul actually wanted to get to this church at Colossae. He really wanted to get there to visit them. But Paul, if you know anything about Paul, he's on these missionary journeys. He's spreading the gospel and planting churches in different places, but he's also been in and out of prison multiple times. So Paul's been busy and he's not been able to get there. The second thing we need to note are there's two declarative statements. We see good order and firmness in the faith. And what I believe is Colossians 2, 6 through 15, um, these are like a thesis to where Paul explains what it looks like for us as followers of Christ to live with good order and firmness in our faith. So let's keep reading there, verses 6 through 8. It says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So we're just going to walk through these verses and pick apart a few phrases. The first thing we need to look at is this Greek word, uh, palomino. I think I'm saying that somewhat correctly. That's the Greek word for received. And in this context, what Paul is saying is, as you have received Christ, the moment that you have made the decision to be a follower of Christ. So if we are a gathering of believers, the church this morning, I would say we have all hopefully, have received Christ, right? We've received Christ as Lord. And we'll look at that a little bit more. So the mo- he's addressing the church. He's addressing Christians. Then we see this phrase, to walk in him. And I like how the New Living Translation say, states it. It says, you must continue to live in him. 
Paul's saying, I know you're Christians. I know you've made this decision to follow Christ, but you must continue that journey. You continue to live in him. We understand that following Christ is not a one-time decision. Uh, It is a continual way of life. We continue to live in him. But if we're honest, that can be the hard part, or at least that is for me. Like, it's easy for me to understand that I need a savior, that I need Jesus, that I need forgiveness. And so it's like, yes, I want that. But then this idea of living in him, this, that seems a little more challenging for me to continue to become like Christ. In verse seven, Paul gives us four characteristics of what it means to live in the Lord. This, um, to live in the Lord. And it's right in line with the theme of the letter, this encouragement of Christian maturity. So the first The first word we see is rooted, which really stands out from the other um, four characteristics because rooted is in the perfect tense, meaning it's a continued result from a singular action that has happened in the past. And we'll talk about that a little more in a minute. Um, The next we see, um, next three, we have built up, established, and overflowing. Now, all three of these are in present tense. And some scholars think that these three terms are just repetitive that Paul's just repeating himself for no reason. But I disagree. I don't think Paul's being repetitive here. I think each word or phrase adds a little bit, it adds its own unique meaning to help us understand what it means to live in Christ. These are all imperative commands for what it means for us to live in Christ. So we're going to walk through these four characteristics. The first would be my favorite, rooted. Like I said, it's the perfect tense, meaning that it is a Um, a continued result from an action that happened in the past. Well, the action that happened in the past that Paul's referring to is when they received Christ, that moment when they became Christians. So if we have received Christ, Paul's telling us we've become rooted. We have roots like a tree, okay? If you've repented um, of your sins, you've placed your faith in Jesus and been baptized, followed in obedience through baptism, you have roots, right? We've been rooted. So it doesn't matter if that was last week. It doesn't matter if that was last year or if that was 40 years ago. We all have roots if we have made that decision to follow Christ. Now, I know I am a um, generally called a redneck from East Tennessee. Um, I grew up in the mountains and the hills. And so I moved to farm country, okay? Farming was not a way of life in East Tennessee. Uh, I, I know very little about farming compared to probably most of you who have grown up around farms your whole life, okay? Specifically like corn and soybeans, right? All I know is it makes the deer huge and they're giants up here. So... Um, and I do love hunting the giant deer. That's side note. Um, so anyways, so I know I'm talking to farmers. I'm going to talk about roots a little bit. So if you would just humor me in your knowledge of roots as I studied a little bit about tree roots specifically. Um, so I think we would all agree that the roots of a tree are important, right? We understand that roots are important to the life of a tree. Like that's common sense, right? Um, I read this article by the name of John Guile. I'm sure most of you are familiar with his writing on roots. He's done a lot of research on trees and, and root systems. Um, And this is what he said. He said, the roots of your tree are unhealthy. If the roots of your tree are healthy or undernourished, your tree suffers. See, when we as followers of Jesus neglect our root system, we suffer. There's a direct direct result in our relationship to the Lord and then how we live our day-to-day life. See, the the purpose of roots are multifaceted. I actually, once you begin to study, they do a whole uh, num- numerous different things. But I want to talk about the two big ones. First, they absorb nutrients from the ground and water, right? We all know that. Roots absorb nutrients and water. And the second thing that they do is that they go grow large enough to keep a true upright and, sec- and secure in a storm. Okay? So roots are going to absorb stuff. They're going to take in stuff. And they're also going to keep the tree planted in a storm. 
I would say that there is a part of the Christian life that is very much like the root system of a tree, right? We would call it our quiet time, right? That's when we practice spiritual disciplines such as prayer and fasting and scripture meditation and just being in solitude, right? When we practice those spiritual disciplines, that is us working on our roots. When we neglect our roots, the tree's not healthy. The roots aren't healthy, the tree suffers. Now, have any of you heard or are familiar with what they call a deep root watering system? Anybody? Yeah, a couple. I had no idea, okay? Like I said, mountains, we just, it doesn't grow anything there, okay? But I had no idea what a deep root watering system was. But basically what it is, is some sort of hole in the ground, take like PC, uh, PVC pipe, uh, hammer a huge hole in the ground, right? A couple, two, three inches. And then you hammer it down into the roots, clear out the dirt somehow. I'm not really sure how they do that part. Then when you go to water it, you stick your water hose in that and you water. And it doesn't just go on the surface around where the tree is. It goes down to the roots, all right? Because if you just were to water the surface around where the tree is, typically if I were going to go water a tree in my yard, it's, I don't know that I've ever watered a tree in my yard, but if I was going to, it must be like we're in some sort of drought, okay, and it needs water. But the problem with that is, is the, the roots are so deep that it doesn't actually get any of that water. It all evaporates before it gets down to the roots. So they have this method of this deep root watering system, watering roots down where the roots are. So if you continue to only water a tree on the surface, and all it has is what they call surface watering, the tree roots will actually, instead of growing down, will grow up, right? And if they start growing up, what's going to happen, it's going to leave the tree without a deep root system. It's going to make it vulnerable to being uprooted and blown over by storms. The parallel here is if we, as followers of Christ, do not practice spiritual disciplines, and maintain our spiritual root system, our relationship with the Father is in trouble because our roots become unhealthy. And you may not notice it at first because if we're honest, we are really good at faking it. We just come in and we come in on Sunday mornings and you sit down and you're like, oh, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Life's so great, you know, such and so sick, but I'm, I'm doing good. You know, I don't really need to get anything personal out there because I'm doing okay. We just act like everything's fine. We sing some songs, we listen to a sermon, we get a little surface water. But our roots, they can be in jeopardy if we've not been maintaining them throughout the week. Our roots grow shallow when our faith only consists of Sunday mornings. Now, I'm in no way trying to discredit what goes on in this room on Sunday mornings. Like, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. What I'm saying is if your faith only consist of what happens in this room on Sunday mornings. That's not what we see taught in scripture, right? That's not enough. This is just the beginning. I know nothing of your congregation. Literally nothing. Brad had to tell me where it was at, okay? Um, I I know nothing, but I'm going to make an assumption, and maybe it's true for your congregation, maybe it's not. It was, it's true for mine, but it's even more than true for the congregation that I'm at. It's true um, for the area in which we live, right? And we all share the same Walmart, so it's the same area, okay? Um, and it's a really bad Walmart, okay? It, just, it is. It's, it's bad. But I'm, I'm going to make an assumption, okay, um, based on, on the health uh, of our area. Since we've entered this global pandemic a few years ago, um, my experience is people have just walked away from the church. Like people have walked away and not come back. Um, and, and I don't want to, you know, 
debate with you whether it's over health concerns or not, because that's not my place to judge, and I'm not placing judgment on people who are, uh, you know, literally concerned uh, about getting COVID or something of that nature. But there are some people that I've seen at Walmart. I've seen them at the baseball fields. I've seen them at restaurants. You know, we see them out and about and different things. But somehow church is no longer um, a regular part of their practice. I don't, I don't think we can blame it on the virus. I don't think we can blame it on politics. Because the reality is, is we're supposed to be rooted I think what happened is these people have been neglecting the health of their roots for a long time. Church, I just want to encourage you this morning, the same way with Paul and the theme of this letter is to encourage the church at Colossae, is that we've got to be rooted. We've got to be rooted in who we are in Christ. You've got to take care of the unseen so that your roots remain healthy because if you've lived for any time at all, you know that storms of life are going to come. Like it's just inevitable. We face death and cancer and disease and sickness and illness and all these problems and tragedies. Storms are going to come and we must remain rooted so when the wind and the storm comes, we can stay planted in him. The second phrase that we want to look at is built up in him. I love camping. You guys do any camping? I, I told you a lot. I grew up in Tennessee, so I used to do a lot of backpacking. I do a little bit now, not like I said, four kids, not as much time as there used to be. But I used to do a lot of camping, and I love camping. Tent camping, backpack camping. Um, I even took my uh, four-year-old, ah, man, he may have been, uh, okay, four-year-old, it's a couple years ago, he's probably four. We went camping. We didn't have a shelter at all. We just slept under the stars, you know, it was great. We froze, but it was fun. Um, so I love this kind of camping. One thing you learn when you go camping is why we live in houses, right? Like, if you've ever stayed the night in the tent, you're like, this is why I sleep in a house with like actual walls and a mattress. Uh, you know, all those things like even, you know, when rain comes, you're like, mm, my house is better for rain. Wind, my house is better for the wind. It's cold, my house is warmer. It's hot, my house is cooler. In every situation, a house is significantly better than tents or hammocks while you're camping. I think we can make that same jump to being built up in a relationship with Christ. Paul is telling us to build up our faith. What I could compare to a sturdy home, don't be content just to live in a tent. That was good, wasn't it? Content to live in a tent, right? Like, don't be okay just to live in this shelter, this mediocre, bare bones. Like, sometimes when we make this decision to follow Christ, like, we just put up our tent and that's it. But God didn't expect us to live there forever. He expected us to build a house for us to learn more about him, for us to continue to pursue him, to grow in him, to learn truths about his word and to share that. Not just to stay living in this temporary shelter. We're supposed to be built up in him. The next phrase we see is established in the faith. Fixed, habitual, usual, and customary. These are all synonyms for the word established. This is how our life should appear to those that we work with or go to school with. They should see that Jesus and our relationship with him is established. That it's usual for us to talk about the things of God. That church is a habit of ours. We are to be established with deep roots. And when we are established with deep roots, we care and tend to the unseen things. Because that's what makes us established. The next phrase is, is overflowing. The last of the four characteristics is overflowing or abounding in thanksgiving. Have you guys seen those shirts that say life is good? It's got like a picture of a guy, a little stick figure doing something, right? Like, I feel like Christians should just wear those every day. 
We should wear Life is Good t-shirts every day. Personally, I'd be a fan of just wearing t-shirts every day, but Life is Good t-shirts specifically, right? Why? Because we serve the Lord Most High, creator of the universe. He literally came down from his throne, died on a cross so that we could have a relationship with him and fix our brokenness. Life is good. Like, I know I didn't get the parking spot I wanted, but life is good, right? Like, I know, Brad, my kids kept me up all night, but, like, life is still good, okay? Like, life is good, and as Christians, we should be living with that, and it should just be overflowing out of our lives all the time that life is good. These four statements are what Paul means when he says we're supposed to walk in him. Four truths that should reflect the daily life of a follower of Christ. Let's read verse 8 also. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul is warning us not to be taken captive or even stolen from the body of Christ, which is kind of odd for us to think about, to be stolen from the church. Our present culture is so different than the culture that Paul was writing this letter to. But the warning for us is the same. He's pleading with us not to fall into the popular beliefs of the world. Because that's what was going on with the church at Colossae. They were struggling to know what truth was and what was the correct belief. And Paul here is saying, look, we cannot just go with whatever world, the world or culture thinks. A major difference between the philosophy of that time and Christianity was where knowledge came from. Popular thought was that that knowledge came from, was self-obtained somehow through um, reflection or self-searching principles. Christians, on the other hand, we would all agree, right, that knowledge and truth comes from the scripture, from God's word. This custom's not changed um, since the, the time when Paul wrote it or for us now. This is still where we think knowledge comes from. That's why when the NIV translates the phrase, they use hollow and deceptive philosophy. Because Paul would argue that there is no truth apart from the Lord. Church, we must know where truth comes from. In a time where society and culture tell us that we can define our own truth, that we can make up what's right for ourselves, that's simply not true. It would be more convenient, I agree, but it's not true because it's not what we see in the word of God. We must know where truth comes from, not from popular beliefs, not from human tradition, but from God and his word. So what's the point that Paul is making What is he telling us to do for those of us that have received Christ Jesus as Lord? He's encouraging us to take care of our roots, to to continue to build ourselves in him and to establish our faith and to live a joyful life. So how do we do that? Like, okay, great. I understand what Paul's saying here in Colossians, the second chapter. I'm like, but how do I do that? My wife's name is Emily. And uh, I'm not very good at naming things. Uh, I, so when it comes to like naming a sermon, you know, some, you know, we listen to like podcasts and these sermons, like these guys have these fancy names. I never have a good name for this, sermons. Um, so I asked my wife, I'm like, hey, what should I name this sermon? This is what we're talking about today. And I was like, here's, here's my idea. Here's what I've got. I'm thinking, are you taking care of your roots? And she immediately replied, she's like, no, that's terrible. She's like, every woman is going to think if she needs to get her hair dyed, Right. <laughs> Now, I'm not saying if my wife dyes her hair or not, but it was on her mind, okay? Um, and hopefully, most of you guys don't know her, so don't tell her I said that again, because she'll be embarrassed. Um, but really, that's the question, is are we taking care of our roots? Like, are we taking care of those unseen things so that when the storms of life come, 
that we can be prepared so that we're not just living in a tent or a basic shelter, that we are continuing to be built up and established in him. So how do we do that? How do we take care of our roots? When I was in high school, um, I, I didn't, I had no clue what I was going to do with my life. I wasn't one of those kids that grew up thinking, oh, I'm going to be a preacher forever. That was like the furthest thing from my mind. I, I was a Christian, um, but I always felt guilty because I didn't read my Bible every day. And it's like, as Christians, you're supposed to read your Bible every day, and I don't. And, and even, you know, maybe even to college, a uh, little guilt resonated because you just knew those people that would pray for like multiple hours at a time. And they just spent t- all that time in prayer. And I was like, man, I should be doing that as a follower of Christ. I was like, I can't pray for more than five minutes without being distracted. And I'm like, ah, man, I, I must not be doing this right. So what does it look like for us to take care of our roots? Because I think it's easy for us to feel guilty because we don't do what someone else has done. Well, if we really simplify it, it's a relationship, right? It's a relationship. Now it is with the Lord Most High, the creator of all, but it's still a relationship. And for most of us, we know how relationships work. Like I said, when we started, I was not very close to my dear great aunt Mary because I did not go and visit her with any sort of regularity. I didn't know much about her, about her life. All I know is every time I saw her, she would say, oh, my lands and pinch my cheeks and tell me how much I'd grown. Every time, without question. That's on me. I didn't make it a priority. I didn't go and spend time with her. I know how relationships work. I know that I have better relationships with people that I communicate with on a regular basis. Not that I just talk at to, but people that I also listen to. See, we can't have a relationship with God that's just like a relationship with my Aunt Mary. Where we only communicate once or twice a year. And we just tell them what we want. See, a relationship with the Most High takes time, effort, and obedience. We've got to put in time practicing spiritual disciplines. And look, we all go through seasons of life. I get it. My season of life, it is beyond unrealistic for me to expect to have three hours of quiet to focus on doing anything to myself, not to mention reading and praying. Like, it's just not going to happen in my house. God understands that. But I do still give you my time. I think my wife's probably the best example of how she structures her time with the Lord. It's around a pickup schedule, nap time schedules, and feeding schedules. She works that in to where it's like, this is when I'm going to have 30 minutes to be with the Lord. We must carve out time for the Lord on a regular basis. Whether it's in the morning or in the evening, whatever works for you and your schedule, we've got to find time. And that's going to take effort. It's going to take effort to find that time. It's going to require effort when we start to change our habits. Because what I've found is the more time I spend with Jesus, the more things I realize have to change in my life. The more time I spend reading the word, the more time I'm like, man, I'm not doing that very well. So it's going to take effort to continue to clean up and change our lives. And the last thing it's going to take is obedience. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. We've got to be obedient, not to what our heart tells us, because Scripture tells us that what our heart says is deceptive. What Scripture says is truth. We've got to be obedient to what Christ has commanded us. The bottom line is this, is that Paul is encouraging not just the church in Colossae, but us today to not not neglect our relationship with the Lord Most High. And we know how easy it can be. I love my great Aunt Mary. Time just got away. If we neglect the roots, it will result in an unhealthy tree. Church, as we close today, I just want to pray. 
And I would just want to pray a simple prayer and ask that you, as a gathering of believers, will be rooted. That you can continue to be built up and established in Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning we just come before you. And I ask that you would be with each and every person in this room. That you would meet them where they're at, God. That you would uh, let them know that you are pursuing them. That you want to have a relationship with them. That you would help them to have a, a hunger and thirst for truth. A hunger and thirst for righteousness, God. That we would not be blown around in the wind. That we would not uh, follow um, culture and popular thought and theology, God. That we would pursue you and a relationship with you. And we'd be people who nurture and take care of our roots. So that when the trials of life come, we can stand. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Thank you, guys. For us, um, and with that, all rise. May the grace and glory of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Have a great week.